0: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. The Maryland General Assembly begins its 2024 session tomorrow in Annapolis. Lawmakers will consider legislation in the context of budget concerns and in an election year that will decide some key local races and feature races for the House of Representatives that include several members of the General Assembly. Joining me now with a preview of the session, Senate President Bill Ferguson. He joins us on Zoom from Annapolis. Mr. Senate President, welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's such a pleasure. Happy New Year to you and a uh, great year ahead.
0: Yeah, happy new year to you. So what's different about this year? We have a governor who's in his second year. Uh his, this is his second legislative session. You're uh in your what your fourth one or something like that. This
1: will be my this will be my fifth your session. Fifth as one presiding officer and fourteenth overall.
0: Yeah. So I mean how is that going to be different, Uh, particularly given that the governor, you know, was a rookie last year and he's not a rookie this year?
1: Sure. I I keep saying this is it feels like such an interesting year in 2024 because it's such a a turn the corner year. Uh, You know, in 2020, we had uh, it was my first year in along with the speaker, both of us. uh, And we, of course, had the start of COVID in March of 2020. And then 21 was the COVID year. 22 was the Omicron year. 23 was the uh, new ele- new governor, new executives, new attorney general year, and so this year we're back to normal. This I, I would say we're we're getting into normalization mode, um, and you know that is affecting us in every direction. So from as high as uh, you know how it's going to impact our budget to how we interact with policymaking to what we're investing in, you know it's a, it's going to be a year that's kind of getting back to normal operations uh, and prioritizing what matters most for the people of Maryland and the state overall.
0: And the fact that uh, two of your senators, uh, Senator Elfrith from Anne Arundel County and Senator Lamb from Howard County, have thrown their hats in the ring uh, to run for Congress, along with uh, four or five other people from the House of Delegates. Does that matter? Does that uh, affect uh, anything going on in the General Assembly this year?
1: No. And look, both are terrific individuals and and really hardworking, great elected officials. I wish the best to both of them uh and i think you know the, the state would be lucky with either of them to have, represent us uh in uh washington I, I think everybody there's always the one constant about annapolis is change uh it is it is the one thing that's that that, that continues is that uh, there are changeovers of people and positions and so you know the beauty of the legislature is that it is the place where there is the most stability and i think that that continues to be the play the, the case now and um You know, I don't see huge impacts of people running for for federal offices. We still are going to focus on the the most important issues.
0: So the governor uh, began some months ago warning uh, that fiscal responsibility was going to be the the order of the day. Uh, There is a projected uh, budget deficit of some $761 million uh, for the budget that begins on the 1st of July, and it gets bigger uh, as you go in the out years. where do things stand with, uh, you know, your your understanding of uh, where where budget cuts uh, might have to happen or revenue increases might have to happen? Uh, how are you going to approach that challenge?
1: Yeah, look, this is this is where I go back to. Really, this is about a normalized budget. Um, the last few years, the last two or three years, you know, with the federal money and the support and and kind of the the building back from from the the COVID experience overall. There were more resources available publicly than had been in in, in you know, generations, and so um, those were extraordinary times. And so, you know, it wasn't as necessary to sharpen the pencil for every single dollar. We were very, you know, I think accountable towards each dollar expended. But it was easier to invest in many different things. Now we're back to normal, and we have to just be a bit more intentional in where the dollars go. Um, it is absolutely essential that we focus on growth. Uh, We have to find ways to help invest in the things that will grow Maryland's economy because that allows us to do the things that we know are necessary to expand opportunity. And so, you know, we we have to put the infrastructure in place to make sure that we are uh, set to launch in the years ahead. And so, um, you know, that means people have to feel safe in their communities. Uh, They have to feel like they have uh, a home that they can afford, that they have a transportation system that allows them to get to and from work or to and from school efficiently and effectively. And they've got to live in a place where they have access to health care and live a healthy life. And then they've got to live in a place where they can breathe the air and drink the water. And so we have to focus on the basics. And that's what we'll do this year and and, um, do it within budget.
0: I want to talk about juvenile justice reform. Uh, Last year, a couple of bills that uh, the General Assembly passed, uh, in particular, the Child Interrogation Protection Act, uh, were met with uh, some pretty stiff opposition uh, among the law enforcement community. There's talk about tweaking uh, that law in particular, perhaps one or two others. When uh, uh, the, the Maryland electorate was uh, polled uh, just a few weeks ago, fighting crime and improving public safety, not surprisingly at the top of the list in terms of voters' concerns. Uh, what concerns are you hearing from your, your fellow senators and fellow uh, folks in the House uh, when it comes to, uh, to to that legislation in particular? Do you expect that it will be tweaked? Uh,
1: look, I, you know, I don't know. People have said a lot of different words around tweak a change. At the end of the day, when we engaged in juvenile justice reform, it was about making sure that kids had better outcomes at the end of the day. Um, what we know is there is a very specific problem at place, and it is young people with guns who are either shooting or getting shot and young people who are... Uh, stealing cars or engaging in carjacking activities. That is a very specific subset and cohort that really matters. And if it it has an outsized impact on people's perception of crime overall, Um, and rightfully so, that is the case. And we have to deal with it, it cannot continue. Uh, And so there are a lot of pieces of the reform package that I think are going well. Uh, I do think that in these particular areas, objectively, we have work to do. It is not okay and things have to change. And so that means we have to we have to dial back in on the intake process, make sure that when when an, a young person is found with a gun or they're engaged in stealing a car, we have to have a specified approach to how the system engages with them. Uh, and we have to divert that attention. They have to be held accountable for the sake of the young person to divert that uh, that behavior and for the sake of the community so that the community feels like uh, you know there are consequences when somebody breaks the law and and makes horrible decisions. So uh, we will make some policy changes that will adjust things that have uh, been passed in the that we have passed previously, but we're not going to wholesale roll things back. I think a lot of the issues around juvenile justice have been a, areas of um, a lack of education about what the law actually says, and and that was most recently seen in the case of changes in personnel at the intake facility in Baltimore City uh that as we dove in and really said this is what the law says what is the practice the practice doesn't match the law why is that it looked like it was personnel issues and so changes were made and so that's the level of accountability that the legislature will you know have an enhanced version of to make sure that it is uh that that work in the juvenile system is being done as uh, comprehensively and collaboratively as possible so that we get outcomes for kids and communities uh at the end of the day We've got to change behavior. It's not about who did what, which agency did one thing right or wrong. It needs to be about are we changing outcomes for kids at a time where young people are dealing with factors that almost no other generation in human history. For if you think about the impact of the pandemic, the access to guns, the number of guns that have been bought and sold and then subsequently lost or stolen is the highest number in human history. And then third, just overall social media and the impact of social media, you combine these three factors And there are some real challenges that young people are facing that we have got to divert and we've got to engage proactively. Uh, and divert that behavior so that it doesn't continue. I believe we can and have the right collaboration starting to make sure that we make a difference.
0: Yeah, and I hear what you're saying, and I think uh, a lot of people uh, absolutely agree with that. But when it comes to decisions, when it comes to personnel, do you personally have any concerns about the Department of Juvenile Services and some of the decisions uh, and some of the some of the uh, the, the the calls that they're making? Uh, when it comes to some of these kids uh, who are engaging in behavior that uh, absolutely needs to be diverted in one way or the other,
1: I, I mean, I just want to see—I I, want to see improvement. Things have to have to change when it comes to kids with guns and um, and and kids who are engaging in, in, in auto theft or carjacking. Uh, this is, and it's not just on the Department of Juvenile Services. I think that's an important message. It's it's all parts of the system that engage with kids who are at the deepest end of the pool and have the highest barriers to success. We need a collaborative approach across levels of government that really can only happen from the state level because of the the the, the coordination that's necessary. Uh, it has to be an everyday operation amongst mul- many agencies. I think it's very easy to point at one person or one thing. I would say I'm glad that there were personnel changes made, but that's not gonna be sufficient. We have to see changes in behavior so that kids have better outcomes and communities feel safer. That has to be the standard. It's not about whether one person's in a job or not.
0: Senator Bill Ferguson, who is the president of the Maryland State Senate, uh, is my guest. We're talking about the upcoming session of the 2024 legislative body known as the General Assembly. So, uh, Mr. President, uh, the second most important thing on the minds of Marylanders, according to this recent poll I uh, just mentioned the other day or the the other minute, um, uh, improving uh, K through 12 education, education uh, right behind public safety in terms of uh, priorities for the electorate. Uh, we had a big uh, infusion of uh, money towards the Blueprint for Maryland's Future uh, bill that was passed back in 2020. Um, uh, what do you, what do you expect w- will happen in that regard, given the budget constraints that the governor's already warned about uh, in this session?
1: And I think we made a commitment and we're following through with that commitment. It's crucial. Uh, the The education of our populace is a, not only a constitutional duty, it is absolutely essential that we do what we can to make sure that kids and families have the, the resources and schools that they need to be able to compete in a world globally. Uh, so moving forward, it's going to be our, continue to be our top priority, K-12, as well as early childhood and our higher education and workforce systems. Uh, I think we have to move and shift towards kind of lifelong learning and having coherent systems across these different early childhood, K-12, higher ed, and workforce. The goal needs to be implement the blueprint, uh, and follow through on that commitment, and then align it to what employers need to make sure that everybody has access to ma- maximize their own special talents.
0: Let's talk about transportation. This is a area that uh, is of great concern to a number of local jurisdictions, Baltimore County, Baltimore City, others uh, with projects at various stages of development. Uh, The governor's talked about big cuts to the transportation budget, uh, more than $3 billion. Uh, Where do you expect things will be uh, at the end of these 90 days when it comes to uh, the, the transportation aspirations that the legislature and the governor have?
1: Right, so i would say i just read that when it comes to the cuts of three billion dollars really what it is is a uh it is a balancing within means so there was always a projection when it was first released the the consolidated transportation plan had a $3 billion over budget of what projected revenues were. And so um, when the final CTP was put in place in December, it was always going to have to adjust to account for that $3 billion of revenue that was not actually there. So it's not really a cut because there was never the revenue ever projected to have been there in the first place. Uh, and so that what a lot of that $3 billion represents are expansions in the system. And what we know we have, we have sufficient revenues to maintain a world-class transportation infrastructure across modes today. That is to maintain. The real question for us is if we want to expand, if we want to invest more in our mass transit, in our roads and bridges, in our airport, our port, uh, then that means that we're going to have to find a way to pay for it. We launched a what we call the train commission. Which had a year of looking through this issue and has made a recommendation about whether or not, it, in the case that there are additional revenues, how it would be transparently spent. Um, I, there, it is a two-year commission that's making re- uh, recommendations, uh, probably about what additional revenues may be available next year. So I don't see us this year taking up a big revenue question around transportation because we got to say how we would spend the money first, and we have to build the momentum to make sure that this is in fact what Marylanders want to invest additional. In additional infrastructure spending,
0: but do you expect that there at, at some point are going to have to be pretty major overhauls with the the sources of revenue in the transportation uh, fund because uh, as more people drive electric cars and as we meet our exactly. standards, you know there's less gas, less gas taxes. um it It sounds like this is going to have to get overhauled in a fairly significant way
1: without a doubt. and that and, and it's going to be a heavy lift, and it's going to be uh, take a lot of work with a lot of stakeholder involvement. And that's really, I mean, that's why the legislature put forward. This is a challenge we've been talking about for about four years here, even in the midst of the pandemic, Um, and it's gotten only even worse with mass transit uh, post-pandemic, where the the ridership numbers have just not even come close to coming back. Um, And so, to do this the right way, we have to make sure that we've had the conversation across the state to help Marylanders understand why investing more in transportation matters, and and that is the point of setting up this commission. Uh, that I think we'll we'll work over the next year to figure out you know what is the most fair and efficient way and and make sure that Marylanders do in fact want to see additional investment to expand transportation options uh, across the state.
0: Let me ask you one more question before I know we have to let you go. The Maryland Department of the Environment uh, has come up with a plan to meet very aggressive goals to reduce admissions. Sixty uh, percent from uh, the levels back in two thir- thousand six by twenty thirty one. That's not too far in the future. Um, when it comes to environmental, uh, the, the cost of of uh, you know implementing the uh, plans to to address climate change, where do you see that conversation going in this session?
1: Uh, you know, I will say for over the, not just this session, but for the next ten years, this is going to be one of our more challenging topics because. The costs associated with the transition to more sustainable energy generation and consumption are, are very real, and the question is who bear who should bear that cost and how should it be borne. Uh, I think we are going to have to take this issue by issue. You know, with the uh, overages and the cost of wind power generation to solar siting issues and solar tax incentives and the cost of uh, shutting off coal power plants uh, here and having to build new transmission lines to Pennsylvania to back up the amount of energy needed. These are complex issues. Climate change is an existential threat, but we are also one state and can only, uh, our challenge will be if we make ourselves, um, uh, if we do it too fast and too quickly in a way that is not competitive with our regional uh, partners, uh, it sets us up for being in even more trouble. And so this is a delicate balance. That's There's no simple solution here. We have to move as urgently as we can in a responsible way that balances the interests of costs and the importance of shifting towards more, more re, uh, reliable and renewable sources of energy.
0: All right. And we're going to have to leave it there. State Senate President Bill Ferguson, thank you so much, sir. As always, appreciate your time. Uh, good luck with the session, and we will, of course, stay in touch.
1: Thank you so much, and uh, stay safe, and we'll have a great uh, session here this year in 24.
0: All right, appreciate it. And up next, let's talk some football. The playoffs are set. They begin next week. What's ahead in the postseason for the Baltimore Ravens, the team with the best record in the league? Clifton Brown of the Ravens.com and Jonas Schaefer of the Baltimore Banner. Join me on the other side of a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
1: This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.